Welcome to the Books That Build Me podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Louisa Traeger about her novel, The Lodger. The Lodger is the first biographical novel about Dorothy Richardson, a literary pioneer whose novels in her day were considered the equal of Virginia Woolf's, yet who's now one of modernism's most neglected figures. She had many influential literary friends, not least H.G. Wells, whose lover she became. Louisa, I'm so happy you've joined me today to talk about uh, your fantastic book um, at the books that built me, and particularly about Dorothy Richardson. So the novel's particularly concerned with the period in uh, Dorothy Richardson's life where she had had this love affair with H.G. Wells. Tell us a little bit more about about the lodger and and uh, and what it's about. Well, as you said, it's focus is this amazing but forgotten writer Dorothy Richardson Um, and my book really covers a brief dramatic period in her life during which she falls in love with H.G. Wells. Um, She rejects the conventions and restrictions of her age because she was quite a rebel, quite a boundary smasher. Um, She explores her sexuality and independence and she finds her voice as a writer. And but of course, H.G. Uh, Wells is, is is married to, uh, and the reason she comes across him is because he, her childhood friend Jane is is Wells's wife. That's right. Um, Jane is her oldest friend. They lost touch, but shortly after Jane married Wells, um, she got back in touch with Dorothy and um, invited her to come and stay with them. And Dorothy was immediately entranced by Wells by his voice his mind. And yes, this um, love affair happened, which, you know, must have been incredibly fraught. Though actually, Wells and his wife Jane did reach an understanding that allowed him to have affairs. And Jane was remarkably forbearing. It was really an extraordinary situation. Uh, But I suspect they were secretly deep, deeply hurtful to her. How could they not have been? It is, it is always interesting, isn't it, when people purport to have open marriages and you, you kind of wonder mm-hmm. if, if both parties are in the same headspace. Yes, there. yes. Well, um, Is there any evidence to say that she was, she was deeply hurt by it or actually was, you know, was actually okay with his promiscuity, I suppose? She put up with it. She was on very good terms with all his lovers. He had a child with Rebecca West, and apparently while everybody was flapping around, you know, saying, you know, yikes, what about the scandal, Jane quietly went out and bought all the baby clothes and the crib and all the practical things. Degenerous um, woman. <laughs> but having said that, at the end of her life, towards the end of her life, she got her own flat in London, which was really her space, and she started writing. Really? And I had she, no yes, idea. I, I find it very interesting. I, I have only read as much of her work as as H.G. Wells quoted, um, I, but he published the book of Catherine Wells after she died. Apparently, she was a writer of the Virginia Woolf Catherine Mansfield School, which is also very interesting. Um, So I think that was a sort of outlet for her. And I think Wells was really quite surprised. It was almost as though another person entirely emerged 
in that writing. So, you know, I think there was a whole lot of pain and yearning that she suppressed that came out in her writing. And also she died of stomach cancer. Oh, gosh. Which I also think is... kind of written on the body. Yes, exactly. Of, you know, holding 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 everything in. I mean, we we were kind of laughing a bit earlier about how... Uh, Dorothy Richardson is uh, is herself quite a quite eclipse, and actually the whole the whole story that that we're the reason we're talking t- together, mm-hmm. um, the prompt for it rather than yes. the reason is that there's the big H.G. Wells anniversary, the 150th yes. anniversary, isn't there now? And I just I want to I really want to make this about Dorothy Richardson, not about him, but I don't think we can we can't ignore her in the way that particularly because your novel is so uh, is so focused on that a part of her life. But tell me a bit about his. Um, the libidinous H.G. Wells and his women. Okay, well, he claimed that he and Jane were sexually incompatible, hence the um, arrangement. And um, he had many lovers. They included Amber Reeves, Elizabeth von Arnim, Rebecca West, as I said, possibly Martha Gellhorn, though she always denied it. Well, isn't it? Isn't it just? So they were, you know, not simply... Attractive, they were among the most prominent and gifted personalities of their day. And I think very far from being exploited victims, they came to him as equals. You know, they could relate to him sexually, intellectually, creatively, as equals on every level. So what, what was it about him that, that made women of, you know, of, of those, their kind of extraordinary character so drawn? Well, he was an unlikely Lothario. <laughs> he was a short little man with a straggly moustache and a squeaky voice, apparently. <laughs> um, but I think he was immensely charismatic. Uh, he had a mind that sort of continually bubbled over with, you know, extraordinary thoughts and ideas. And I think also he made women feel that he was interested in all of them, mm. in, in their minds as well as their bodies. We, I mean, it's interesting. But he did. He really encouraged uh, creativity in in the women that he yes. was friends. He had relationships with. Yes, that's right. So. He certainly um, encouraged both Dorothy Richardson and Rebecca West to write. Um, arguably, you know, Dorothy wouldn't might not have become a writer without his input. They argued madly um, because both Rebecca and Dorothy had diametrically opposed views of the novel to Wells. So there was a very kind of fiery interaction, um, but something very productive came of it. I mean, it's quite, it is intriguing, isn't it? What do you think, why did their relationship was relatively, relatively brief? What Tell us a little bit about what this is, uh, Dor- Dorothy, sorry, Dorothy and, Dorothy and, and, and Wells. Wells. Well, actually, um, they were friends, and it sort of flowered into a love affair over a ten-year period. But I cheated in the lodger oh, over see. that time scheme uh, because I felt that to write about a, a drawn-out ten-year affair would be a very, very slow burn. Indeed, I f- fast-forwarded mm. it. So that really they were friends for a long time. They were lovers for a relatively brief time. She became pregnant by him in 1907, but she miscarried. And she moved to the country, um, I think, to get over not just the miscarriage, but also the demands of being yeah. one of Wells's lovers. And they, they settled into a friendship, a lifelong friendship. She edited his experiment in autobiography over, you know, which he wrote towards the end of his life. And it seems clear that Jane knew about the affair and the three of them were friends. Worth, worth, yeah. 
kind of soldiered on together. Yes, yes. So very, very, very collaborative then with with each other's work. I mean, there's a kind of a muse quality for both of them. Um, yes, very much so. Uh, so yes, she he made use of her editorial skills. I think also she was a very experimental pioneering writer. Maybe we can say more about that later. But I'm sure she sort of increased his awareness of experimental writing. I'm not saying he wouldn't have mm. known about it without her, but she would have put him in touch with new and vibrant thinking. I mean, you couldn't have two more different writers. I mean, you know, Wells is, is, is very conventional in his plotting, and he's very, very plot and story-driven. Yes. Yes. And, and her her books, I mean, she's, that link with Virginia Woolf is incredibly important. Didn't, didn't, she was... Tell me about her in Stream of Consciousness. Well, the amazing thing about Dorothy Richardson is she wrote Stream of Consciousness before anyone else in English. And I think that makes her even more remarkable. Her sort of life's work was a 12-volume autobiographical novel sequence called Pilgrimage. The first volume, Pointed Roofs, came out in 1914. And that was a year before Virginia Woolf's first novel and two years before Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man. So... You know, she as his literary pioneer is yes. absolutely what she was. She was an absolute groundbreaker. And how did how did she how did she discover that style? I mean, where did that come from? Where what were her influences? Well, she really I think she was reacting against the conventions of the sort of Edwardian realist novel. She perceived those conventions as being explicitly masculine. And she wanted to create her own feminine equivalent she, she sort of felt that very few books had convincingly portrayed a woman's experience and yeah she was really seeking to record you know life the, the texture of life's impressions you know as they're lived so it's fascinating that she's doing she's very focused and very centered on a specifically female experience yes 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 so what do you think it was about her that made that that a real you know the driver of her work I mean that you know that that interest in the in the female of kind of creating a female voice and being um, is it just the context within she, with the very male context within which she's operating? Her father was a Victorian patriarch who you know really dominated the house. Her mother had to subjugate everything to his wishes, and he went bankrupt. And then her mother got depressed and committed suicide, and the family sort of disintegrated. So, so the background of great tragedy. Exactly, great tragedy, great trauma, but with this very sort of strong patriarchal, you know, role model who'd really messed everything up. Plus, it was an era when, you know, there wasn't really much yeah. scope for women to express themselves. Yeah. And I suppose by nineteen sixteen, the you know the. The war has broken out, and I guess yes. seen it, and, and then uh, women are trying to find their own their own way and their own language in the mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. the backdrop of that. Mm-hmm. But Do- Dorothy had lost her family; she'd also lost her class because of her father's bankruptcy. So you know, she really had to sort of reinvent herself, I suppose. Oh, that's obvious. 
it's in, it's extraordinary that we don't. She's not better known, isn't it? I mean, how did you find? How did you find her? How did you come across her? I found her completely by accident. I was looking for an angle on Virginia Woolf that hadn't been written before. That's no easy feat. No, because <laughs> reams and reams has been said about her. So I was in the University of London Library, sort of you know, on a hot day, feeling rather hot and flustered, and going through the shelves, um, and I found completely by accident a review Virginia had written about Dorothy. Um, And I'm going to quote it, if I may, because it's such a fantastic quote. Virginia Woolf said that Dorothy Richardson has invented a sentence which we might call the psychological sentence of the feminine gender. It's of a more elastic fibre than the old, capable of stretching to the extreme, of suspending the frailest particles, of enveloping the vaguest shapes. And I really thought, wow, I was intrigued. Who is this woman, Dorothy Richardson? And how did she come to reinvent the English language to describe the experience and, of being a woman? And being a, being exactly, a, kind of very, a specific, creating a specifically yes. female language, yes, yes. which, of course, is something that would appeal to Virginia Woolf enormously. Yes, exactly. So, so what, and what did you do next? You found that and you thought, this is, who is this person? Well, I began digging. And yes, I started reading Pilgrimage. Um, and I became as interested in her life as I was in her writing because she was a complete taboo smasher, boundary breaker. You know, she had an affair with a married man, H.G. Wells. She was bisexual as well. She really couldn't fit into any of the limited roles available for women. And I thought, this is an amazing woman in the way she lived her life and in the way she wrote. And people really should know about her. Um, so where did you? So you started with the with the with the work, and then went went yes. right back into the life. Yes. And what yes. I mean, what, so what is what is what is pilgrimage like? It's twelve. You can be honest. Twelve volumes of stream of consciousness. <laughs> so it's, it's very long, very it? long. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, bits of it are beautiful and extraordinary, and other bits are frankly hard going. Um, particularly the later volumes where her consciousness gets very kind of intricate. And you, well, you can say, well, you can say that about Wolf as well, actually. I mean, you know, yes, you, I think that's you know. true. Although Wolf's work is more varied. I mean, yes. this is really one life, and I think that is partly why she hasn't stood the test of time because her writing poses challenges. Yeah, and but what was her? So, but her reputation within her lifetime was quite different. Well, when she first started writing, um, she actually created shockwaves in the literary establishment because her work was so unlike anything else. Um, And she did achieve really almost cult status as one of the new writers. She was considered the peer of Virginia Woolf. Um, But that early recognition and interest did gradually die away for for various reasons and she died in poverty and obscurity and there's actually a really heartbreaking um, anecdote that a a visitor went to see her at the old age home um, where she spent her last years it was a family connection and was told by the matron that Dorothy had senile delusions she she thought she was a famous writer and this startled visitor replied, but she, but she is, is a, a famous, famous writer. And I just, I well, found that really, yes, really heart-wrenching. Um, 
And yeah, that that's partly why I thought, you know, I'm gonna dig her up and tell people about her. So what was what was her what was her milieu when she was like you know, I guess in her in her in her pomp? What who did she who did she work with? I mean we have the sense of the you know, the Bloomsbury group as being as you know, as being and modernism being a movement that's centred around right. the Hogarth press. That's right. But she did she get did she was she part of it? Did she get on with Virginia? No, Hall? she was very much on the edges of, of that. Um she lived in Bloomsbury, but she was much more working class. She and Virginia didn't know about each other's work. Um Virginia made the very supportive comment in a review that I just read, but actually I think they didn't like each other. They were slightly jealous of each other. So there was a little bit mm. of sniping. Dorothy went to Paris in the 1920s with her husband um, and they met Ernest Hemingway and Mina Loy and sort of other members of that, yes, that Montparnasse group. And Hemingway actually begged Dorothy for a story for Transatlantic Review, so he thought very highly of her. That's extraordinary. And did did she deliver? I think she didn't, actually. Or if she did, it it got lost. But then then how... um, how quickly did she become did that did that kind of did her popularity wane and was that and is that because she wasn't part of a particular she was too peripheral to those driving groups or was yes. it because of the financial imperatives that she I understand well I think it's a combination of factors which it always is you know she wasn't part of one of these driving groups as you say she ended up married to a penniless artist who was 15 years her junior and she had to support both of them. She did a lot of journalism and translations just, just so that they could survive. Um, so a lot of her energies were diverted away from fiction. And yes, there, there were also, I think, you know, the fact that her, her writing can be challenging. Plus, a lot of other people started doing experimental, you know, modernist-type books, and it wasn't as new and extraordinary as when it first came out. And she was still writing the, the kind of 12 volumes. Yes, so yes, she yes. She was iterating a, a, a theme and hadn't broken exactly. the way to it. Exactly. So what, what should her reputation be, be now? I mean, why should we revive her as, a, as an important figure of that period? Well, I think for a start, she was an absolute groundbreaker you know one of the things I've been talking about is Wells and how original he was with his science fiction nobody had written about time travel etc etc but really nobody had done what Dorothy did with the novel which was really to smash all the conventions and make it anew which is you know an incredibly courageous and original thing to do um and you know, I think her, her writing is extraordinary. You know, you, you are in the centre of this consciousness and it's just very vivid. Where would we start with it? Should we start at the beginning? Oh, start at the moved? beginning, definitely, yes. And are they, I mean, do you need to read the whole of the 12 volumes? Or can we just escape no, by having a quick look at the first bit? I think if you look at the first bit, you'll get a very, very good flavour. They but, were reprinted by Virago in the late 70s. Oh, really? Are they yes. print now? I've got a sense that Isephany have reprinted it. Oh, you, could be, be right. you could be right. But I know that with Virago, they're available on a... You know, they'll print on demand. Yeah, or, um, or Handy Abe books. I probably shouldn't be saying that. Or, I mean, but, I mean obviously, I mean, we, you know, everybody should read Logic because that's a really good route into her personality and who she who she is well you know a couple of people said to me why didn't you write the lodger in stream of consciousness style and i i deliberately didn't because i wanted to tell her life in a way that was accessible Mm. you know which is maybe something she didn't do yeah i mean my question was actually why didn't you 
you're, you're, you have an academic background. I mean, also background as a classical violinist, which uh, sounds extraordinary, and perhaps for another time. But um, why didn't why didn't you approach her life from a, as a as a as a straightforward biography rather than why did you approach it through fiction? I love biographical fiction um, because you've got a framework of really interesting facts on which to build a plot. But at the same time, you've got enough wiggle room to imagine and create. And I guess, you know, I am interested in people's emotional lives. That's really what gets me. And unlike my non-fiction sources, biographical fiction gives me license to, you know, invent thoughts and conversations while still trying to stay as true to the characters' personalities as I can. I mean, I think that does really. I mean, it really, it really comes across. Well, I'm obviously very glad you didn't write a biography of Thank Dorothy you. Richardson. Because, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that um, because I really I enjoyed the book enormously. So this is unfortunately we we need to wrap this up. I mean, it's always it's always terrible to come to the end of a, of a great conversation. Which of the coming back to your reading around Dorothy Richardson, your reading around the literature, which yes. which books helped you really get a sense of the of the period and bring it to life? So. Well, what other authors were you reading when you were writing this book? I read H.G. Wells very widely, obviously, to get a sense of his voice. Um, But I've always loved Virginia Woolf. I've been mad about Virginia Woolf. Catherine Mansfield, I love. Um, So, you know, they were both in my mind. Um, They were trying to do similar things and they similarly didn't conform to social norms, really. Yes, exactly. Completely breaking away pioneer, exactly. pioneer, pioneering women. Exactly. And and finally, I loved The Hours by Michael Cunningham. Have you read oh, that book? Oh, it is wonderful. It is um, wonderful. And that was a big inspiration, really, to how he portrayed the inner life and thoughts of an extraordinary writer. It is, yeah, and the way he juxtaposed the different, the different stories. Oh, it was just, just brilliant. Really lovely. Which, so which, is your, which is your, I shouldn't really um, get back into my favourite Virginia Woolf, but which is your... What is your favourite wolf? I do love Mrs. Dalloway. Oh, I completely, I'm, obsessed, I'm borderline obsessed with Mrs. Yes, Dalloway, so yes. I'm, I'm all over that. <laughs> um, so th- thank you very much indeed, Louisa. Thank you, Helen. The literature is, is uh, available in, in the usual all good bookshops yes. uh, and also on Amazon. And, That's right. Um, is it available in ebook too? Or just yes, in there is an ebook. Oh, great. It's really, it's a fascinating read, and I think it's thank a very, you. very different dimension to. Fans of uh, of modernism, fans of women writing, you know, women writers of that period, and actually fans of H.G. Wells too wanted to know what yes. what it was about his uh, uh, libido that made him that made him so interesting. Thank you, Helen. Thank it was you. a pleasure talking great. to you.